Good morning. Welcome to Southwood. So glad that you are here, whether you're here in person, watching. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Jimmy Fallon says, welcome, welcome. You made it. You're here. We won't do that here, though, but because he says it every time. But we are truly glad that you're here with us this morning, uh, helping us worship, getting us ready to be in the presence of God. That's what we're here for today. So let's stand together, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started. Lord God, thank you for how amazing you are, first of all. You're amazing in this place. You're amazing in our hearts. You're amazing everywhere, all the time, any day, any hour, any second. I can't say enough words about how wonderful you are. And thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, the freedom that we have to be in your presence this morning, to worship you, to give you all of our glory and praise that you're so worthy of. We pray that you would be blessed and pleased by what we have to offer. And we offer it in the name of Jesus because it's, it's only because of him that we're here in this place today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do some singing.
give our praise. Amen. All right. I have a few things to tell you today. Um, in front of you should be a connect card in the front of the seat in front of you or the back of the seat in front of you. If you haven't filled it out or scanned it, still time to do that. We want to make sure we connect with you, so please take a look at that today. Also in the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take it. That's what they're here for. So you can use it yourself today. Take it with you. We want to make sure we get the Word of God in everybody's hand. So we're grateful that we have that to do that. If you have not grabbed communion yet for today, you've still got time to do that. We're going to do that a little bit later in our service. So make sure you run back there and grab your communion. And save the date because coming up on January 25th, we have a Wednesday midweek service. There'll be more information to come on that. But save that date so that you can be here and be part of what God's doing here. And we want to make sure that we're all praying for the guys who are going on the Hero Makers trip this week. And I understand there's quite a few. So keep them in your prayers and just let um, God lead you and guide you as you pray for them. We want to take a moment to say good morning and then we're going to come back to worship. So say hi to somebody.
we bless you this morning. We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for victory. We praise you for your blood that was shed on our behalf. We praise you, Lord, that you sacrificed yourself for us. We praise you that we can stand in this place and we can worship the God of the universe because of what you have done for us. You've won it all for us. Help us to walk in the truth of that, the joy of that, the glory of that today and every day. And may everything we do, Lord, throughout the rest of this service, throughout the rest of the day, our weeks ahead, may Jesus be seen in us and may we glorify you in absolutely everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Many of you are familiar with uh, our family pet. How many of you know of Gabe? Here's a picture of Gabe. Gabe and I on a hike not all that long ago. Well, a couple of nights ago, I led Gabe outside for a few minutes just before we went to bed. And as I opened the door to let him go out, I mean, to my shock and surprise, he bolted. I mean, he shot out the door. He just went from zero to 60, like instantaneously. And he was in hot pursuit of something that was beyond my ability to see somewhere out in the darkness out there, just beyond the, the realm of what I could see. And after a little investigation, he kind of went out and I just followed him on out and trying to figure out what is he going after in such intense pursuit. And I discovered Gabe was pursuing some deer who had wandered into our yard pursuing something to eat. But, uh, you know, when they saw Gabe, of course, we know what the deer did. You know, they, they turned and they left really fast in pursuit of some peace and safety, right? Immediately, you know what happened. Gabe came back to me. He was in pursuit of something in his excitement. You, remember, you know what he's excited about and wanting from me? He was in pursuit of some affirmation and some praise for me. Why? Because he assumes that I'm in pursuit of the same thing he is, a deer-free yard. This is his assumption. So he's like after affirmation and a praise. It's a goofy little example. But it's an example of something that we all know, but we really don't reflect on that much, and that is that life is filled with pursuits. I mean, all of us have got pursuits. We have more pursuits that we're conscious of and unconscious of than we're aware of. Right now, I'm pursuing your attention, right? And you're pursuing some sort of insight or word from God, or you wouldn't be here, wouldn't be tuning in on the live stream. And when this message is over, most of us are going to transition to pursuing some nourishment, some rest, some relaxation. I mean, we'll be doing something like that because tomorrow, We're going to resume our pursuit of a career or financial security or health and wellness or whatever it is. But what it is, you'll be pursuing something. This is life. Life is a constant series of pursuits. It's filled with pursuits. We learn in Scripture that Jesus had things that he pursued. 
It maybe shouldn't surprise us, but it does, that interestingly, he wasn't always pursuing the same things that are common to all of us. And maybe those of us who are his followers should take note of that. Maybe it'd be wise to notice and think about what does Jesus pursue, and perhaps, perhaps I should pursue some of that in my life. Maybe I'd have more fulfillment. Maybe, maybe God would show up even more in my life. I just want you to think about this. I mean, for example, Jesus didn't pursue a spouse or children or home ownership. He didn't pursue popularity or prestige or power, a long list of things that are common to all of us that he did not pursue. However, if you look at Jesus' life, he was in hot pursuit of some other priorities. And, and today and in the upcoming messages, maybe not the next two weeks, next week I'm going to be in Mexico and Lori's going to speak, so you have that to look forward to. So she's going to speak next week. And uh, the week after that, I'll be back, but uh, it's, it's a long story. I've got a trip that I've got to take. And uh, sadly, my mother-in-law will be going home. So we're taking her home that weekend, but Cody is going to speak, and I know what he's going to talk about it. You will be blessed by what he's going to say. The week after that, we will continue a series. I'm starting today, The Pursuits of Jesus. And I really hope that this morning and throughout this entire series and, and really on a regular basis, you will listen carefully to what Scripture tells us because it's constantly revealing the pursuits of Jesus. And here's why it's important for us, because his pursuits are lasting and meaningful no one can take those things from you. And you have the promise of the Father's affirmation with those pursuits. You and I both do. So today we're going to look at the pursuits of Jesus from his earliest years. If you have your Bible with you, open it to Luke chapter 2. We're not going to read about the shepherds on a hillside, which is in Luke 2. We did that here about a month ago. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another passage. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's a it's an important passage of Scripture. In fact, the verses we're going to look at, it's the only passage in the Bible that gives us a glimpse into Jesus' childhood. And that's significant, a glimpse into him as a, as a kid. The account doesn't just tell us what kind of man Jesus would become. The account we're going to read today reveals and foreshadows the priorities, the pursuits that directed his life and his future and really directs our future as well. And so it's very important that we note these things. Let's read the passage together. Luke 2, we're going to start at verse 41 and just follow along with me what the text says. The scripture says there that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Let's pause right there. How, how often did they go? Every year, every year they went to the Jerusalem for the, the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, which means he'd been there how many times? 11 already, and this was number 12, right? That's what it tells us. So when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual, as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And the Bible says that when they couldn't find him, they were terrified. It actually doesn't say that, but every parent knows. Ah, you know, the trauma of this moment. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, I mean, it's a parent's nightmare. 
three days of searching, right? Three days later, the text says, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious leaders, the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? Jesus asked. Why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Jerusalem with, or to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored, some, some translations say treasured. His mother treasured, stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Now, it's a fascinating passage with lots that can be learned, a whole lot more than we have opportunity to, to fully unpack this morning. But I want to highlight uh, some of this for you. So before I highlight the pursuits of Jesus in the passage, I want to draw your attention to just a few observations real quick. And I hope, hope that you won't get stuck in my tangential thoughts that are observations at the beginning because we will come back around to the pursuits of Jesus here. But I, I just want you to see this stuff. We learn, uh, first observation, we learn in the passage that Jesus was raised from childhood to being obedient to the Jewish law. I mean, in the text, I mean, he's attending one of the, one of the feasts of God, uh, of Israel, Passover. I mean, he's doing that, not for the first time. This is number 12. His here's the point. His parents made Jesus' spiritual development a priority. And all of us who are parents are wise if we do the same for our kids. There are things that you and only you can really... God has given you the privilege, the opportunity to introduce your children to Him. Don't take that lightly. It's a big, big deal. It has implications for their future, for their future pursuits, the things that their heart will beat fast after. You could argue that much of what you introduce them to now, when they're little, will influence what will make their heart beat fast in the future. Don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. Second observation in the passage is that Jesus was clearly a child prodigy. A lot of ways that's an understatement. But Jesus was astonishingly brilliant. Think about this even as a 12-year-old. Think how unusual that really is. I mean, some of you have 12-year-olds. You all were 12-year-olds. So you know what I'm talking about. This is an astonishing thing. The, the, the fascinating thing about the text is that the original Greek, for amazed here, the way the context and the structure of the, the Greek here, uh, if it was translated real literally when it talks about everybody being amazed at his, at his answers and his questions, so when it speaks in that language, if it was translated real literally, it, they just didn't say, oh, everybody's amazed, which is kind of an underwhelming way to say it, honestly. If it was real literal from the original language, it'd be saying stuff like, everyone was beside themselves in amazement. They were struck out of their senses, as another way it can be translated. The idea is that everybody 
cannot believe themselves what's coming out of the mouth of this kid, a 12-year-old. And not just, you know, like your rank-and-file parent, the religious leaders that he's sitting in front of, they are stunned, shocked, astonished, struck out of their senses by what they're hearing. Just think for one more moment with me of a few of the frequent signs of a child prodigy, just so we kind of get this in our head, how unusual this is. These are some of the frequent signs of a child prodigy. They have a long attention span. They have excellent memory. They have early and extensive vocabulary development. They're insatiably curious. They read really early, very early readers. They learn rapidly. And they have the ability to grasp and explain, not just think through, but explain, articulate complex concepts understandably. I mean, all of those traits were true of Jesus in this moment. And hear me, much, much more. This is why everybody was like in shock and awe of his presence at, how old did I say? Twelve. Twelve. Let me just say, if Jesus would have stunned, was stunning some of the most brilliant doctors of the religion of that day at 12, what do you think he was doing to them when he was 30? We would be wise to never underestimate the brilliance, the wisdom of Jesus. Scripture was not just blowing smoke when it says the fullness of God dwelt within him. We're talking brilliance, all caps. And then the word explodes. It's stunning how brilliant he was. Third observation. This is for the younger people among us or the younger people listening. Jesus knows what it's like to be understood, misunderstood by his parents. Good news to you. You're not the only one who is a teenager have been misunderstood by your parents. Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He was kind of interested in something, more interested in something, than they really quite understood. I mean, they were interested, but he was interested on a level that just sort of dwarfed their enthusiasm and It's important to note that even though Jesus was misunderstood, he didn't look at that as an opportunity and excuse to be rebellious and to demean them and so on. What did he do? The text tells us that he obeyed them respectfully anyway with his words and his actions. I mean, we're wise to follow Jesus' example in this. And just because it's unusual doesn't mean that it shouldn't be practiced. Just follow the example of Jesus. Last observation before we dive into the pursuits of Jesus. We learn in this passage that by the time Jesus was 12, I mean, within 12 years, 
He had come to understand his identity and his mission on earth. He shows up here in the temple, and he knew who his real father was. No fog in his mind. Some of us would think, if, if we had his mission, and at 12 I understood that, like, I was going to be laying down my life and all of this, I'd be finding a boat to some far remote location. You know, this is like Jonah. That's what I'd be doing. What's Jesus do? He goes to the very place that is his father's house and ultimately will one day be his demise. Is that not a stunning? Which brings us to the four pursuits of Jesus that show up in his life even from childhood. I mean, they directed his life, his priorities, directed everything about his future. I'm going to spotlight them real quickly and apply them to us as we go, and I hope, that you'll, uh, hope you'll take note of these and, and embrace them. To whatever extent you haven't fully embraced them, I hope that you will uh, this morning. First pursuit that really shows up in Jesus' life here, even in his childhood, is that Jesus pursued worship. He pursued worship. You know, Jesus didn't attend church. He didn't attend the temple to be entertained by the music, preaching, and light show. Not, not why he showed up. He didn't go to the temple for that reason. I mean, really. I mean, he went to the temple to pray, to sacrifice, to give offerings, to listen to Bible teaching, which was taking place constantly throughout the, the porticos and colonnades and courtyards of the temple. There would be teachers, gifted teachers, standing all over the place, and you'd kind of move from teaching session to teaching session as you're studying the, the Torah and, and the, the law and the prophets. This is, this is what Jesus was doing, kind of making his way through there, listening to teaching and You would go to the temple because not only was that happening in the the colonnades and the porticos and so forth, but there there were also the, the Levites, the singers, the musicians. They were positioned throughout the temple area leading the people in psalms of praise. I mean, they would sing these. I mean, you may not realize it, but the Hebrew language is not only, it's complex, it's more than we got time for this morning, but every letter of the Hebrew alphabet is both a letter, it's a It's a number, and it's also a musical note. Go figure. I guess God's really smart even in language. And he taught his people to be really smart. And so as they would read Hebrew, they could sing a psalm, and they knew it's like the the Bible itself was a songbook. We just don't think of it that way because it's foreign to us in our culture. But they would... Jesus would go to the temple because he'd pray and sacrifice and give offerings and listen to Bible teaching and sing psalms of praise to God. And here's the thing. Jesus clearly loved to worship. He loved it. He couldn't get enough of it. In fact, he stayed at the temple for three days. Three days worshiping. How would you and I do if it was three hours? You know, uh, a few years ago, I took a short-term mission trip to Brazil, and uh, I was invited to, uh, to, to an all-night prayer meeting. I was, I was asked to speak, and 
I'd never been to an all-night prayer meeting. And I thought to myself, can I do this? Pray all night long. What am I going to pray? I'm going to pray everything I've ever thought. I'm going to... I mean, my brain just kind of went, and, and I'm a pastor, and this is going on in my head, and I thought, this, that's not right. And, and that, the, the, all this turmoil started, you know, churning inside of me, and then I went into, you know, uh, I can do this mode. I, with God's help, I, I can pray all night. So I kind of went through this whole thing, and uh, I, I, I did make it by the grace of God. But I remember at the time just thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that the whole idea of praying all night feels foreign and like something I'm not sure if I really want to do? What's wrong with me? And you think to yourself, oh, you know, that's extreme. Let me just ask you, think about this. If your child or someone close to you has little or no appetite for food or weakened appetite, are you worried? Answer me. Of course. You start thinking, if, it, if it's prolonged, you start thinking, is he or she sick? Are they, what, what's wrong? And if it just keeps going, you start getting really worried. How do you suppose, if that's true physically, do you think that there are any implications spiritually if I have diminished hunger for worship for the things of God? Should that maybe get my attention that like, I'm not hungry, as hungry as I ought to be for worship, for prayer, for God himself, for his word. If it's concerning physically, friends, it ought to be concerned, concerning to us spiritually. And frankly, some of us need spiritual healing. I mean, we do. There's something broken in here. And it's not the worship leader. It's not the music volume. It's not the speaker. It's not the lighting. It's not a whole lot of things. It's, it's in here. It's in here. And going from place to place on a search for what's wrong in here, guess what? You take what's wrong with you. It stays with you until you seek God for, God, heal my hunger. Fill me. Nourish me. I need more from you. I mean, this is, Jesus could not get enough of this. He spent three days in worship constantly like that, and you kind of get the sense that he would have been there four days and five days had his parents not come back for him. Right? He sort of reluctantly agreed and went with them because he was not yet fully a man in their culture. But he pursued worship. We would do wise to do the same. Second pursuit in his life is he pursued spiritual understanding. If you look at verses 45 to 47 with me, just read them again because these are really impactful, insightful verses. Um, the text says that when, when they couldn't find him, when, when Mary and Joseph came back and they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. And three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. And notice what he's doing. Sitting among the religious teachers, 
listening to them, and asking questions. The text goes on and says, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So it's clear in the text, Jesus was not just sitting there staring into space. I mean, he was fully engaged in Bible study and discussions of spiritual nature. And he was, he was not just engaged with people that made him feel better about himself. He was engaged with the Bible scholars, the teachers, the premier leaders of the temple of that day. There's a high likelihood that Nicodemus, later in his life, was sitting there. One of the most renowned Bible teachers and scholars of that day. Hillel, another one of the great the great rabbis of their day. I could walk you through some of the rabbis, and you, they don't mean anything to you or me, but to you or me in our culture of our day. But these were, were men of tremendous renown that, that are still, their wisdom, their insight, still influencing Bible interpretation, Bible understanding. They were brilliant men. Brilliance from God, no less, but they were brilliant men, and this is who Jesus is rubbing shoulders with in this moment. Spiritual understanding was a priority, a pursuit for Jesus. To what extent is it a priority, a pursuit for you, for me? Are we content to be biblically, you know, mediocre in our knowledge? Yeah, we feel good about ourselves because I know who the woman caught in adultery was. Don't ask me, though, too much about the Ten Commandments. I can give you three. I mean, this, is, this is the way our culture is. I mean, it's like I can, I can know certain things, and I'm content with ignorance. Friends, spiritual understanding was a priority, a, per, a well-refined pursuit for Jesus, and be wise for us to follow his example in that. You know, we have Bible reading plans around here. I don't know if you're engaged in one at this point or not. I mean, we've got a number of people that are. Maybe, maybe some of you are in, in, in the reading plan and you've, like, gotten behind in your reading and you haven't reengaged. Maybe today you just need to say, you know, don't, don't get hung up on what's, what you're behind. Engage. Read. Read in the Bible reading plan. Maybe, maybe you need to jump in with this. The latter part of the month, we've got a, a new one that we're going to start because we've been reading through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, we've got a new one that's going to start uh, later in the month. You see the little, the little thing here. There'll be a card back there. You can scan it and jump into it. Uh, I think it's January 26th, if I remember it. Yeah, on the 26th is when this new one starts. My encouragement to you is just be reading. You the Bible is not a children's book. You can't read it once and get it. You will spend the rest of your life reading, absorbing, re-understanding things that at this moment in your life you read it and you think, oh, I got it. No, you don't. You read it, read it again and, and you'll, you'll get clarity on some things you thought you knew that you, oh, you just kind of misunderstood that a little bit or you didn't fill in the detail with this. The point is, is that as we do that, I mean, our understanding is shaped and molded. Are you in a life group? Are you in a men's group or a women's group? Are you, are you engaging with others in dialogue and discussion? Frankly, some of you should be leading groups like this and not groups that like, you know, Lori or our 
life group leadership team, you know, tries to pull together for you, but you should really just be grabbing people who are maybe not as knowledgeable as you, and you begin to help equip them with spiritual understanding. Why would that be important? Because here's what happens to you when you invest in shaping and molding others' spiritual understanding. You learn in new ways. They're going to ask questions you didn't think of. They're going to have thoughts that don't go through your mind readily. You will grow as you've never grown when you start teaching this book. It'll stick in your head and influence your life in ways nothing else could. That's why I often have felt like literally everybody who's a believer eventually needs to be some kind of a life group, some kind of a small group leader, some kind. Are you taking spiritual understanding in your own life and in the lives of those around you seriously? You need to make it a pursuit, a well-refined pursuit And in verse 49, Jesus explained to his parents and us why he pursued worship and spiritual understanding with such intentionality. His ultimate pursuit, this is the third pursuit of Jesus, and not third as in priority, third just in the sequence that I'm going through it here, but his ultimate pursuit was, is, always will be his heavenly Father. It's his heavenly Father. Look at verse 49. Listen carefully to what Jesus says here. This sometimes blows past us, but he says to his parents, you remember, let me just pause for a second before I read it. Remember Jesus, did Mary and Joseph know who Jesus' real father was? Is. Yes. They were told by angels, remember? So they, and, and they had this miraculous birth and all this. I mean, angels tell him to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt to protect him and on and on. I mean, they, they have wise men showing up from the east, giving him gold, frankincense. And, I mean, so they had a lot of evidence, a lot of confirmation that Jesus, and I guess the fact that it was a virgin birth, that would be its own confirmation that you're not likely to ever forget, Right? Okay, so, so they know who Jesus is. There's no fog in their mind about this. And yet, it's interesting, verse 49, Jesus says to them, why did you need to search? He says that, not because he's being disrespectful, he's saying that because it's like, of all people on the planet, you know, who I, you know what's going on here. Why, why did you need to search? You you, you should know this is where I'd be, right? But then he goes on to explain. It just says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Sometimes we read a passage like that and we just, we hear the word house and we just kind of think the temple. That's not, that's not how Jesus viewed it. Particularly as you look on in his life, in his ministry. Whose house was the temple? His father's. His father's house. The focus was not on the building. The focus is on whose residence it was. 
And Jesus' parents didn't quite understand yet what Jesus did, that ultimately the spiritual life is not about religion. It's not about a house of worship, a physical structure. It's never been about that. Not in ancient times, not in modern times. In truth, the spiritual life has always been and is today and always will be in the future about a relationship. It's about a relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. And Jesus came so His Father could become one day our Father, and we again could become His beloved, forgiven children. And the birthplace of all of that was His house, His Father's house. And it was His Father's idea to begin with. For God so loved the world, the Father so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, right? But have everlasting life. Jesus was in eager, devoted pursuit of His heavenly Father, which brings us to Jesus' fourth pursuit which is foreshadowed in this passage, and that pursuit is us, you. I just want you to think with me for a moment about this. Do you think it was a coincidence that the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible, in the flesh, Luke uh, 2, 49, okay, that's the passage. Do you think it's a coincidence that the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible were spoken during Passover? When the sacrificial lamb was slain for the forgiveness of people's sins? You think that, you think that was just dumb luck? In today's text, do you think it was a coincidence that when Jesus went missing, how many days did he go missing? Three. How many days did Jesus spend in the tomb? Three. Do you think that was dumb luck, just coincidence? Why do you think the biblical text tells us that Jesus' mother, Mary, treasured and stored up all these things in our heart? Hmm, why might that be? Here's why, friends. Because they were prophetic foreshadowings. These, the two I mentioned and others that I could mention if time would allow, they were prophetic foreshadowings of things to come in her son's life, in Jesus' life. They were early evidence that Jesus had come to pursue something other than his own interests. He had come to pursue you and me and to bring forgiveness to all of the wayward, estranged children of God who needed forgiveness desperately, far beyond what they could understand. Jesus came in pursuit of you. And the other question that really needs to be asked is, in light of his white-hot pursuit for you, how else can you describe what what he endured on the cross? You've got to love somebody to pursue them to the extent that he did, to let them drive nails in your hands and in your feet, pierce your side, 
beat you with whips. And at 12, know that's coming and not run. In light of Jesus' intentionally aggressive pursuit of you, have you yet decided that he's worthy of your pursuit, your worship, your devotion, your attention? You know, the sports world was reminded this past week that not all pursuits are truly important. Most of us saw the, well, maybe you didn't see the, the Bills and Bengals game. Uh, probably most of us have heard about it, things that took place. The Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, experienced a cardiac arrest after making a routine tackle last Monday night. The sports world was really rocked with this realization. We each are only one heartbeat away from being face-to-face with God. Talk about something that we don't like to think about. But everybody who took it seriously, that's, what you, that's ultimately what's underlying all of the talk and the media and everything about, let's pray for tomorrow, let's pray for tomorrow. The truth of the matter is, that's what they do, because they... But nobody is going to the point and saying, why are we praying? We're praying for DeMar to get well, but ultimately what rocks everybody, what destabilizes everybody in the culture is the fact that the truth underlying it all is that one heartbeat, that's all it takes, or, or one heartbeat stopping is all it takes for you and me to be face-to-face with God. And what's needed is certainly prayer, not just for Damar, but for you, for me. We need to seek God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We need to reorient the pursuits of our lives. We need to choose to pursue worship. We need to choose to pursue spiritual understanding. We need to choose to pursue our Heavenly Father who has pursued us with incredible intentionality and love, mind you. He's chosen through Jesus and the cross to pursue you. Will you choose him. You choose to pursue him like Jesus did. You and I are wise if we do. We're going to share in the communion time in just a moment, and um, it's an opportunity to thank Jesus that he pursued you. It's an opportunity for you to look heavenward as you take the emblems of communion, the bread and the juice, and And tell God that that you appreciate and you're grateful now and you'll be forever grateful for the sacrifice that he made. That he made the pursuit of you a priority in in the scheme of things that he's giving attention to in the universe. 
Would you just humble yourselves before him, ask him to forgive you, to fill you, to cleanse you, to make you. make you his. And don't worry about the fact that maybe you think, oh, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not, I, I don't think I could pray for all night long. I couldn't. <laughs> don't allow that stuff to overwhelm you. Just, just invite the spirit of God to fill you and to transform you body, soul, and spirit into the person that Jesus died so you could become. That's the place to begin. Do that. God will take care of the rest. And I ask you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray and then we'll share in the bread and the juice remembrances of Jesus' body and blood sacrificed at Passover. Many years was 12 but because he loves you let's bow our heads and pray Father we thank you that it's possible to not be completely unnerved by the fact that if my heart stopped beating that would not be the end it would just be the beginning of an ongoing face to face now relationship between us and you purchased and made possible through the shed blood of Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us enough that you sent him. And this morning we come before you asking for the filling of your Holy Spirit, for the cleansing that can only come by your Spirit. We ask that you would increase our spiritual hunger. We ask that you would help us love you and love worship and love everything about you more than we do, Lord. Because you are eternal. You are good to the core of your being. And we want to live forever. And we want to be good to the core of our being. We want the joy of your fellowship and your presence now and forevermore. We long for that. So as we take these communion elements, we we honor you and we remember that you pursued us. And we're just saying, Lord, we want to pursue you more. Meet us in these moments as we share in the Lord's Supper with you and with all of heaven. It's in Christ's name we pray.
thinking about it, that when Gabe shot out that door at light speed to go after the deer, you can answer this probably. Do you think he caught what he was pursuing? No. And Gabe's fast. He's fast. But he, he's not that fast. Here's a promise of Scripture. If you and I will pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will catch Him. I mean, that's the promise of Scripture. Because He, in truth, will have caught you, which was His ultimate pursuit of the whole thing. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer. Glad you made it this morning. If you've been online with us, thank you for joining us. Trust that you'll pursue God even here in this room. I know some of you in remote locations and you can't do that. And We're thrilled that you're doing that. Gather some people where you are. This is going to be really important in the days ahead that we build relationships where we are, some other believers around us. And so do that. Don't put that off to tomorrow. Make that a God-honoring pursuit for your time, energy, and attention. We all need to be doing that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some in the habit of doing, as Scripture says. We need to be here. Don't, don't neglect that. Don't miss out on being here together. All right, let's bow our heads, pray, we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it. If you need prayer for something, come on down afterwards. Father, thank you for your blessing, your presence, your spirits working, and the promise we don't really find you, you found us. Thank you that when we pursue you, you're committed to making sure that we find you, that we catch you. Would you go with us this week? Would you empower us to be salt and light wherever we go? Would you fill us with joy? Would you fill us with hope? Would you, and not some naive kind of hope, but a hope that there's more beyond this life rooted and anchored in you. Now, would you go with us as we leave? We lift this prayer together. We offer it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless y'all.